This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, just a fast plug for TorahAnytime.com, who makes this share available all over the world. So the comment today, this week, I didn't tell you, I didn't call you, the comment, I got a message. Um, I, I should really play it for you. And the message was, Hi, Rabbi Wallerstein. I watch you on TorahAnytime.com. Could you please tell me what moisturizer do you use? <laughs> Thank you. That's what the guy said. I don't know. I guess sometimes I shave, sometimes I don't. Anyway, my answer to you is, if you're watching this year, I don't use moisturizer. But thank you anyway. Okay. So, we have these to give out, guys. I'm telling you, if not, not because I'm on it, but just so many shurim on this that people are watching on the internet... And there is a big difference, not taking away from, from the calling in, but when you see someone speaking in person, that's the best. If you can't see him in person, you see him on a screen, that's second best. And then if you can't see him on a screen and you hear them, that's third best. So, Tori Anytime is really doing an unbelievable job. They need money for, to pay the people that are working. This film that you're watching doesn't go straight onto the computer. It has to be downloaded and then, 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 some ice and then it goes on the computer. So this all costs money. So, um, if you can help them out after the share, whatever you give, $5, $10, $100, $10,000, whatever it is. If you sold your uh, Bear Stern stock, whatever you got, whatever you got left, you could just put into that box, whatever's left. Okay. Anyway, imagine if you would have had Bear Stern stock, right, a few weeks ago with $50, and you would have sold that and given that to Tzedakah, right, and all that money would be yours in the next world. Now the stock went down to $4. All that money is nobody's. See, when you give tzedakah, a great tzaddik said, in Judaism we learn that what you give away is yours. And what's yours is going to be given away. In other words, when you're alive and you give away tzedakah, right, when you leave the world, it's like making a deposit in the bank in the next world. Nobody can take that away from you. you could, the stock market could fall, you could lose your job, you can invest in real estate, whatever you lose all your money. But the money you gave away, that's yours. Because whatever you gave away that in the next world, that's yours. Nobody can take it from you. But whatever you leave this world, when you leave this world, you have $20 million in the bank, it's going to be given away to your family, not to your family, to the government, whatever. It's not yours anymore. This great tactic said that you should focus in life that whatever you give somebody a dollar, that's really your dollar. So in Judaism, we learn that what you give away is really yours. And what's yours is going to end up being given away. Okay. I don't know why that came in here, but there must have been a reason for somebody. Maybe for me. Purim, we so don't understand what, after all my shurim, because I'm nobody, but we, we so don't understand what happened on Purim and what Purim is all about. You know, everyone gets drunk, what, they run around, they give shlachmanas, matan sevyarim, they have no idea what they're doing. So tonight, I would like to go a little bit into an insight of uh, you know, usually I, I give stories, and sometimes they're funny, and sometimes they're very exciting. But tonight I'm going to be a little bit boring. I, I apologize to everyone if they find it boring. Because tonight we're going to learn, because you have to know, you have to know what you're doing. Stories are very nice, everything's very nice. But Purim is the holiest day of the year, and you can get the most done in Shemayim, in your prayers, and in things that you do, you can get the most done. So the Yitzhahara makes sure that on Purim people get drunk. They rent limos, they go around collecting, they're making jokes. There's kids who never smoked before, they start smoking on Purim. And everyone thinks, and I don't even want to go 
onto Facebook and my place and their place and see. I, I, somebody said today, you know, you got to go on. You got to go onto onto MySpace, uh, my play, what my face, whatever. Facebook. You got to go on. You got to go onto Facebook and you got to see the crazy Purim parties that they that they that they're throwing out there. And I'm like, I, I don't want to see it. You know, I, I don't want to see this stuff. I, I, I got so disgusted with Hanukkah already that I definitely, you know, don't want to find it. And then someone called me and said that there's a new from, um, there's a new from, like, um, Facebook. I think it's called from, from Yo or from Yagu or... From no, not from events. I don't know. From something, whatever it is. He said, right, well, you have to close it down. I'm like, I don't even know what it is yet. I can't close it down. <laughs> but, but the Yetzirah, you have to understand something. The holier the day, the holier the day, the more he tries to make it holy, tries to make it unholy. So why doesn't he try to make Yom Kippur unholy? Right? Yom Kippur, all the Jews go to shul. Because then Yom Kippur is the one day he's, he's off. Right? If you take the word, if you take the word satan, right? Hasatan, I believe. If you take the word Hasatan, so shin is 300, nun is 50, 350, tes is 9 and 5 is what? It's 364. The 365 days in the year. So Hasatan, the Satan takes off one day, he doesn't work. That's Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur doesn't make you crazy. But Purim, which is bigger than Yom Kippur, we all, well not we all, but the, it becomes a big joke. So tonight I have to tell you some of the secrets of what Purim is all about. First of all, the major thing that you need to know about Purim that's different than any other holiday we spoke about last week is that, that Purim is hidden. Now, a person's life, what goes on in our life, boys, breathing and eating and drinking and all these things which we take for granted, that's most of your life. The miracles in your life, there are miracles in everybody's life that you see. A few, you may have got into a car accident, you walked out, you missed a plane, and that plane crashed. There'll be certain things in your life that you're going to say, whoa, God, you had your hand on me for that. Wow, you know, that's unbelievable. But most of your life, is what we call, what the Goyim call, what Amalek calls, what Haman calls, what the Nachash calls, nature. Most of your life is nature. Your body works naturally. The sun comes up, the sun goes down, you breathe air, you see colors. And, and, and Amalek blames Haman, what Haman is, what Amalek is, what our biggest enemy in the world is, is not to see God. So he believes in two things. One called chance, luck, casino, you got lucky. You know, play your luck, buy a lottery ticket. It's luck. I, I got lucky, you know, whatever. Everything is luck. I bought the right stock. I went into the right business. I, I met the right girl. Everything is, is luck, right? And that's Amalek. In fact, they asked Amalek, how do you explain Kriyas Yamsuf? Okay, everything's luck. How do you explain Kriyas Yamsuf? Right? And you know what he answered? Amalek answered that the, it was a natural volcano is what he answered. Mnei Sasha says this. A natural volcano underneath the ocean, which, uh, which caused a huge, um, earthquake, which caused the water to split. And the luck was that the Jews happened to have gotten to the Yamsuf right before that happened. That was going to happen anyway, said Amalek. The Jews happened to be there at the right time. So even Kriyas Yamsov, he wouldn't say it's a miracle. The splitting of the Red Sea wasn't a miracle, it was luck. So his whole thing was luck. Luck is tied into nature. In other words, things happen, stuff happens. We all know that saying, right? Stuff happens. So that's what they believe in. Now what is this holiday called? 
Hello? We're here? Huh? No, it's called Purim. Right? Are we here tonight, guys? What's going on? Started drinking already today? It's in two days from now. It's Purim. What does Purim mean? He built poor. Because it's called Purim. Because Haman did a lottery. What's a lottery based on? Chance. So Amalek's power, his strength, is his belief in chance. So when Haman had to figure out a time to destroy the Jews, he didn't sit down and figure it out logically. He didn't sit down and figure it out strategically. He took a bunch of months, 12 months, and he picked out Ador, he put on a bunch of days, and it came out on the day on the, on the 14th. Everything he did, he did, but now once he pulled it out, he said, ooh, look how lucky I am. God, or whoever he was believed in, chose the month of Adar because Moses died in that month. But he didn't look at the month and say, Moses died in Adar, therefore we're going to do it in Adar. He did a lottery. So the whole basis, guys, there's two sides. There's an, en- there's an enemy of God, the enemy of the Jews, and there's us. The basis of Purim, the basis of the other side, was the belief that it has nothing to do with God, that God doesn't run the world minute by minute, second by second, but that it has to do with luck. So Purim, in the name, in the name of the holiday that we're celebrating, we're celebrating a holiday that sounds like it's a holiday of luck. We just got lucky. Keep it poor. It came out in the worst day, but it came out in the best month. Right? It came out, Moshe Rabbeinu died, but Moshe Rabbeinu was born. So in the word of Purim, there's two sides. And you need to know something in life, that the, the, the bad side and the good, there's always two sides. So in the holiday of Purim, it could have gone two different ways. It could have gone poor in their, in their direction. It was just luck and we got destroyed. Or we could understand that there is no such thing as luck. It doesn't exist. That's a thing from Amalek. And then Akash Bokhul he watches every single little thing that happens. If you look at, if you look at the beginning of Megillah's Esther, I'm going to start with the first Pasuk. Okay, the first Pasuk I learned all these years, 50 years, can I know how? I should live till at least another 70, at least 120, give myself a bracha. And at 120 we'll talk. And you should all continue coming to my shiurim. Till I'm 120, which means that you guys will be at least 105 or 110 at that point. So, I never saw a miracle in the first Pasuk. If you ask a person, show me a miracle in the first Pasuk. Every word in the Megillah is a miracle, right? What's the first Pasuk? It wasn't the days of Achashverosh. Who Achashverosh? He was Achashverosh. Hamolech mehodavad kush. Who was the king from Hodu to Kush, Shevet Esther, Medina, 125 countries. Now. What? 127 countries. Now. Okay. I don't see any miracle here, right? So everybody knows that Cheshverosh was uh, the king of 127 countries. By Yom Emahim, in those days, Kishevet HaMelech HaKashverosh Al Kisei Machusoy Asher B'Shushanabira. In those days, when the king Cheshverosh was sitting on his throne, in Shushan Habira, what is this Pasuk trying to tell us? What is he trying to tell us? That he was sitting on a throne? Where else was he sitting on? He was sitting on a basketball court? He was sitting in the sun? Of course he was sitting, he's the king, he's sitting on a throne. 
Listen to this. Achashverosh took over the kingdom. The Buchanetzah was the king of what? Of Bavel. Of Iraq. Of the whole Babylonian Empire. Anybody who studied his history. So he was the king of the world. Of 127 countries. If you look on a, on a globe, you'll see Hodu, India, and what's Kush, Ethiopia. Right? So India is here, Ethiopia is here. Now, it either means he's a king from here to here, which is nothing, because in between there's an ocean. Or it means he's a king from here, around the world, till here. And that's what the, that's what the Chazal say. He was a king of the whole world. Of the whole world. So Nuchanetzah was the Babylonian Empire. He was the king of the whole world. Who took the kingdom away from him? Korash. Korash took the, the kingdom away from him. And then, Achash, then, then came Achashverosh and Vashti. Now the question is asked, the Babylonian Empire... The capital of their empire was in Iraq, was in, ba- was in, Bab- was in Babylonia, wasn't in Persia. What is he doing in Persia? What's he doing in Persia? What's he doing in, what's he doing in, in, in Iran? That wasn't the capital of, 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 of the Babylonian empire. So what is he doing there? That's what the Megillah is asking. What is Achashverosh, who is the king of the world, who took over the Babylonian empire, doing... In Shushan, in Persia. It's a very good question. Like, what's the President of the United States doing in, in Brooklyn? And, and all of a sudden, he, he built a White House in Brooklyn instead of Washington, D.C. That's what the McGill is asking. Anyone ever hear that question here? No. Yes? Well, you can leave now. <laughs> you know everything. What are you doing here? So, so, what's going on over here? The answer is like this. This guy, Akashverosh, was a big show-off. Now, Shlomo HaMelech, who was the greatest king that ever lived and the wisest king that ever lived, so he had a throne. And on his throne, there were lions and eagles and all kinds of wild animals. And anybody who would approach the king who was an enemy, the lions would rip him to pieces. And the animals would rip him to pieces. So you couldn't get to Shlomo HaMelech on top of the throne. You couldn't get to him. Because he was protected by all these, and it was magical, it was Nisim, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was amazing. He had an, an amazing throne. The next king after Shlomo Melch, who got his throne, was a king, was a, a king of Egypt, his name was Paro, a much later Paro. And he tried to go up Shlomo Melch's, um, throne to get up to the chair, and when he got up to the lion, the lion bit his leg, and he was known as Paro the Lame. He couldn't walk anymore. Achishverosh knew this, so he decided, and he's going to make a copy of Shlomo Melech's throne. He doesn't want to mess with Shlomo Melech's throne, even though he had it. He's not going to try to get up there and get his legs bitten off. So he's going to make a copy. So he went ahead and he made a copy. Where were the greatest artists in the whole world? In, in Persia. The Persian, and it's still, still to this day, their handcraft, the Persians, is amazing. Their rugs, their other things that they make is, is amazing. They have unbelievable hands. So he hired... He wasn't living in Chushan. He hired these Persian craftsmen to make a throne, a copy of Shlomo Melech's throne. So they went ahead, took him a bunch of years, and they, and they made a copy. Now they made a copy of Shlomo Melech's throne, and they tried to pick it up, and they couldn't lift it. It was so heavy that it, was not, it wasn't able to lift. So here we had this beautiful throne that he spent all this money and time and craftsmen, and he couldn't move it. So this tipesh, this fool, went ahead and said, if the throne 
is in Persia, in, in Shushan, then I'm going to make the capital of my whole world in Shushan because I want to sit on that throne. So Achashverosh moved, built the palace, and moved to Shushan Avira and made that the capital of the world, even though he wasn't the Persian king. He wasn't the Persian, he was the Babylonian empire. He decided, that's where my throne is, that's where my capital is going to be. So, that's why the Pasuk says, by Yom in those days, because really before that, the capital wasn't in Shushan. But after he made the whole throne, he wanted to sit on his throne. So he had no choice. The throne was in Shushan Habira. Guys, listen to me. Listen to what's going on here. So now, anyone in the world that would look at this picture would say, okay, Shushan Habira got lucky. Became the capital of the world. Probably got better business. There was, had more tourists coming, you know, to see the throne. They got lucky. Meanwhile, the whole reason that this whole Meshugas got into this king's head. And then he had to move to Shushan Habira because who lived in Shushan Habira? Mordechai the Esther. And the only one, which we're going to learn tonight, that could break this Gezeira was Mordechai and Esther. Therefore, if Achashverosh would not have moved, and Achashverosh would have lived in Iraq, and he would have lived in the Babylonian Empire, and he would have never made that throne, and he would have invited all the Jews to come to a party, and the Jews would have gone to the party, there would have been no Mordechai and Esther. Mordechai and Esther lived in Shushan. So in the first and second Pesach, in Megillah's Esther, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God already caused things to move in such a way that the Rufuah came before the Makkah. That we would, we, that, that the whole, the whole story would go down in a place where there was a tzaddik that could save us. You don't even have to get into the rest of the Megillah. So, so Megillah's Esther, this, this, this Purim is to, to, to give us an understanding that every move, even a king where he, where he sits his butt on, where he decides that he's gonna sit, even where the king is gonna sit, because Baruch Hu, you can take that out of the tape. Weaves, weaves a whole web so that there would be a tzaddik living in that city. That's the first Pasuk and second Pasuk of the Megillah. And if you go through the whole Megillah, we're not going to do it tonight, but if you go through the whole Megillah, you will see HaKadosh Baruch Hu's hand in Bixam Viserash, in Vashti, and everything that went on God's hand is in everything. They look natural. The guy's sitting on a throne. Big deal. Even that, Akash Baruch had to do. And that's what Purim is about. Purim is about a time for all of us to sit and appreciate all the hidden things that Hashem showers us with, all the love that Akash Baruch showers us with every single day and every single moment. And, and that is the greatest appreciation. Even, even in a marriage. Guys who are married, even, even, even in a father and, and, and mother and child relationship. If you only appreciate, if you only celebrate your, your anniversary and your birthday, and that's all you celebrate, that's not a, that's not, those days, it's nothing special to show up. You don't forget to do it. I mean, you're dead if you don't. But it's nothing, if a whole year, you don't tell your wife you love her and you don't buy her presents and you don't write her a card, and you just show up on the anniversary with a rose and a card. What does that mean? It doesn't mean you really love her. That means it's today's happy anniversary day. You know, like all the, like all the idol worshippers do. 
on, you know, on their day, on their special day of showing love. A whole year they beat the heck out of their wives and their girlfriends, and then it comes, that special day, and they come with a balloon that's a little red and says, I love you, with that rose darton, with our card, and they take them out for lunch, and then the next day they're beating them up again. So, so that doesn't show, that doesn't show that a person loves another. What, what shows, what shows the love of a person to another person on a regular morning? Your wife makes your breakfast. It's not a birthday. It's not a holiday. It's a regular scrambled eggs and a piece of toast. And you turn around to your wife and you say, I love you and I appreciate that you made this for me. Then she knows that you really love her. Because that, that's, that's an expression on a day where there's no, no, nothing, no crazy thing that you came home. I bought you a mink coat, darling. Oh, okay. And then she tells you I love you. You understand? But on a regular day where you're just walking out in the morning, she turns around and says, you know, I just want to tell you I love you. That, that's on such a much higher, much higher level. That's why Purim is on a much higher level than other, other yontif. Because on Purim we're thanking Hashem for the things that we think are nature, that I can breathe, that I can eat, that I can walk, that I can talk. All these things that I have in my life that are normal, you're turning around to Hashem and saying thanks for the scrambled eggs. You know, not that thanks that I, I made an investment today and I made $20 million. That's happy anniversary. You understand? That's Valentine's Day. That's Valentine's Day. No, that's Valentine's Day. Oh, today is a special day. You understand? Every day. And, 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 that's, and that's the whole thing of Moda'ani, of getting up in the morning, just thanking Hashem for things, sitting this Purim, and thinking about what Akash Baruch Hu gave you, what, what He gave you, not what He didn't give you, but what He gave you in your life. You have a chance, you have potential. You're not sitting in Chas You know, I was telling someone the other day, I was like, I think that we read the whole thing wrong. I think a person on a, on a respirator, that's nature. A person on a feeding tube, that's nature. A, per- a person with a hearing aid, that's nature. A person who's not on a feeding tube, that's a miracle. A person who's not getting oxygen pumped down his throat, that's a miracle. And after 120 years, every guy in this room is going to realize that every second that you're healthy and you don't have that dreaded disease or any of the other millions of diseases that are floating around the world, you'll, you'll understand that you're a walking miracle. And that every human being, if, if you ever study biology, that every human being is a crazy, walking, unbelievable, crazy machine. That the air you breathe in, all the bacteria in this room right now, there's a million different bacteria flying in this room. That's going, that everybody's ingesting into their lungs and their, and, and the, and the hair in your, in, in your nose takes out certain bacteria. Learn about it. And Hashem has all these things going on in your, in your intestines. There's bacteria in your intestines. Right? That's called good bacteria. Good bacteria. And if you take too many antibiotics, you kill your good bacteria, and you end up getting sick. So you have, you have bacteria in your body, right? That's supposed to, you, you got a whole world. If you look into your, and, and what's this 98.6 thing? How, how does that work? How does that work? How come everybody, everybody in this room right now, you got, you got this big fireplace in you somewhere that's pumping out 98.6 degrees of heat? Hello? How much money do you pay to go to Florida to get 98.6? 98.6. Right now in this room, it's 74 degrees. You know how much oil we have to burn? Do you know how much gas you have to burn to get, to get to 80 degrees in a house? And here you are, no matter where you walk, no matter where you go, you walk into a freezer. Your body's still pumping inside. You take your temperature. You're 98.6. What's going on in you? Where is it? Where's the oil? Where's the gas? Where's the electricity? Where are you plugged into? Do you ever think about that? It's nature. What nature? Where? Show it to me. Show me the hot box. What's going on inside? Show me. How, do you, how are you 98.6? What's going on? You see a fire inside? 
there a fire inside your body? No. So just just that you're you're staying at this temperature at 98.6, and, and, and what happens if you go four degrees above? Your whole body's gone. You're sick, you can't move, can't open your eyes, and if you're 10 degrees off, you're dead. You're 98.6, you hit 107, 108, you're finished. And what's stopping your body from burning up? And what's stopping your body temperature from going down to, to, to 40? Huh? Anyone is trying to think about that? Did you ever look at yourself and say, well, uh, where's the oil? Uh, you know, the oil truck don't come to me and, I, and, and, and put something in my ear and pump in oil. So they'll tell you in the nature, in the heart, in the bit, in the bit, and this is pump. But where does 98.6 degrees come from? Where does it come from? And like he said, where's the thermostat? How you keep it at that temperature? You don't set it. It runs that way. Your whole life. You know, there are guys who never get temperature. Maybe twice or three times in their life. 90 years, 80 years, your body is sitting at 98.6. Exactly. Not going up, not going down. See if the heating system in your house can work that well. <laughs> it doesn't. So, so, so Akash Baruch Hu, he created an amazing, just the temperature in your body. Forget about the fluids and your kidney and your heart and your liver and all these other things that you put into your body. It's a whole world. I think a human body might be even greater than a whole world. And that's why the Torah tells you that a human is a whole world. Because if you look at your body, there's probably more miracles in a person's body than there is in the, in the whole world that's going on. The sun comes up, the sun goes down. Here, your body, it's an amazing thing. But we don't see it. Because our Malik says, and the Satan says, don't see it. Not only don't see it, but destroy it. Smoke cigarettes, kill what Hashem built, destroy your body, do drugs, do all these things, do, right? Just the opposite. Hashem set this, so Purim, is a time of mister. Guys, it's a time to sit, and sometimes, maybe you gotta drink a little bit. Nichnat, yayin, side. Not, not whiskey, there's no mitzvah of drinking whiskey at all, whatsoever, on Purim. You get no mitzvah at all. It's not just not knowing between Mordechai and, 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 and Haman, it's the drinking, it's the wine, because the whole miracle of the, of the whole, we're gonna get to it in two seconds. Why it's the wine, but, you know, okay. Hey, Rebbe, what do I got to drink? I'm going to smoke a, a joint, and I won't know the difference between Hummer and Monokai for five hours. <laughs> no, it's not. The mitzvah is not getting drunk. It's not getting drunk. The mitzvah is drinking the wine. <coughs> and therefore, there's no, no reason to drink Johnny Walker. And these kids come, they're like, hey, hey, what do you got? The mitzvah is to drink wine. There's nothing else that you're supposed to drink or smoke or anything like that. You're supposed to drink wine. I'm going to tell you why you drink wine. Okay, so let's take a look at Let's take a look at where, where Haman comes from. Haman Menatira, where does Haman, where do you see Haman in the Torah? So if we go to Bereshis, we see Haman's name in the following in Bereshis. When they ate from the Eitzad, when they ate from the Eitzadas, when Adam and Chava ate from the Eitzadas, it says the following. And this has a lot to do with where Haman comes from because that's where the whole, this whole thing is about the Satan and it's about the Nachash. He says the following. How do you know that you're not, that you're not dressed? From the tree that I told you not to eat, you ate from? Says, so we, so says Chazal, where do you see Haman's name in the Torah? Hamin ha'etz. Haman ha'etz. That's where it comes from. Haman ha'etz. The same letters. Hamin ha'etz. Did you eat from the eight hadas? 
So where is Haman in the Torah? In the beginning, in the first sin that was ever done, that's where Haman is. Who is Haman? Haman, which I'm going to tell you, Haman is the Nachash. Haman is the snake. Haman is the Satan. And that is what I'm all like. You want to know where Haman comes from? Haman comes from Hamin Ha'etz. And therefore, Haman, interesting, just an interesting, because his name, the Shairish of a person's name, where your name comes from, that's who you are, right? So his name came from eating from the Eitz Hadas, from the snake, giving her to eat from the Eitz Hadas. What was Haman's problem? Haman had the whole world. Haman was the richest person in the whole world. He had everything. He was going to wipe out Achashverosh. He was going to kill him off. He was going to take over the whole world. That was his plan. One sniveling rabbi, every time he walked by, every Jew would bow down. He had everybody. One rabbi said, I'm not bowing down to you. And because of that, he lost everything. He should have walked by and said, Rabbi, I don't care if you bow down to me, not to me. I'm the richest guy. I'm the most powerful guy. And guess what? You're all the Jews are going to die anyway because we have Xavier that they're all going to die, right? So you're going to die anyway. So it doesn't bother me. You're one of them and they're all going to die anyway. Doesn't No, it killed him. He went back and Esther invited him to the party and he went back to his wife. And he said, even though I am the greatest, look at me, I'm sitting with the king and the, and the Malka. I am going to be the next king. I am the richest. I have ten sons. And by then, it's a big thing to have ten sons, right? He had everything. He had everything. He said, but I can't, I can't be happy. I can't be happy. I'm not a happy guy. You know why I'm not a happy guy? Because there's one sniveling Jew that doesn't bow down to me. Meshuggah, let it go. Let it go. Right? They're all going to die anyway. Where did that come from? It came from his Shairish came from where he came from. He came from the Nachash. What was the whole deal with the tree? The whole deal with the tree, if you look at the discussion between the Nachash and Chava, the Nachash says to Chava, Chava says to the Nachash, God said I could eat from everything, just not this tree and that tree. I just not, but everything else I could eat. So the Nachash said, just that you can't eat from. You can eat from that also. So the Nachash is Shairish, where he comes from, is that if you, if there's one thing in the world you can't get, you, you, you can't deal with it. You gotta have it. You gotta have it. So, therefore, Haman's whole Shairish was that I have to have everything. And therefore, if there's one Jew that doesn't bow down to me, Hamin Ha'et, he came from the tree. He came from the psychology of I have to have everything. I have to have all the best cars and all the prettiest women and all the money and I have to have everything. If there's one thing I can't have, it will destroy me. And we know people, we know never people that, that are like that. They have everything, but I, had a, I have to have what he has. But I have to have what he has. That's where Haman came from. That was his Shairish. That's where he came from. He came from the Eitzhadas. Now listen very carefully. What I'm about to say is very deep. There's a lot of deep stuff. So I don't know how much time we're going to have tonight. What was the Eitzhadas that Haman came from? The Gemara says it's a Machlaikas. Chita. A wheat. Esrig. An Esrig. But the Gemara says it was a vine and it was grapes and it was yayin and that's where the Eitz Hadas came from. So now let's go back to the Homi Gilas Esther. What did Haman and Achashverosh make? What was their party? Their party was a party, a wine party. It was a party of wine where they said to every person that was there that whatever your age is, we will give you a wine that's older than you. So if you're 80, you got an 80-year-old wine. 
If you're 40, you got a 40-year-old wine. And not only that, but every glass of wine that you got in a cup, when you finished it, they threw the cup away. It was made out of gold. They got rid of it, and they gave you a new cup with a new wine. That's how much wine there was. Wine, because wine is Haman. Wine is the Nochash. Wine was the Eitz What did the Jews do? They came to this party. Now, I want to read you. You, you, you have to hear this. I want to read you. Uh, you know, I, I don't usually read from the text, but I want to read you a little bit, a little bit from the text. And, and you have to understand that there was a lot going on here, a lot going on. So we're going to start with this. Listen carefully. For Esther, Hatzadekis, who had Ruach HaKodesh, and that's why it says, Vatamad Esther B'chatzar HaMelech, and the Zayar says that any time it says in Megillah's Esther, it says HaMelech without the word Achashverosh, it means Hashem. So that means through some kind of Ruach HaKodesh, Esther was standing B'chatzar HaMelech in the courtyard of God in the next world. That's where she was standing. And the Zayah says, What do you mean she was standing? She was praying. As we know, it says, When Pinchas stood, he prayed. Okay. And she Until her Tfilah went all the way up to to a place in Shemayim called the Houses of the Chatzar. And that is the Chatzar in front of the base Amida Shemayla. Now, what is the word what is the what is the word that stands at the door of the Beis Hamidah Shamayla? God's name Yud Hey Vav and the last letter which is K. Okay. Now, so she stood in this Chatzar Melech of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and it says by Yoshet Hamelech Esther Shabbat Azov the king put out his 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 um, scepter right. That means Hashem put out his scepter. that was in Hakadosh Baruch Hu's hand. Okay. Now, I have to tell you what's really going on over here. The first month of the year, which is Nisan, if you're ever on Rosh Chodesh, if you ever look in your, in your, in your sitter, you'll see on the bottom that every month of the year has God's name scrambled in different ways. Nisan, which is the first month of the year, says Hashem's name, God's name of pity, which is in order. Yud, Hey, Vav, and then the last letter of Hashem's name, which is, which is a Hey. Okay, so that's Nisan, Hashem's name in order. When Hashem's name is in order, that's when he has the biggest pity on us. Adar, which is the 12th, you can, you can mix God's four letters 12 different ways. Adar, which is the last month of the year, it's supposed to be written the opposite way. Instead of Yud, Hey, Vav, it's Hey, Vav, Hey, Yud. Now when God's name is running the other way, it's not good for the Jews at all. So, he became very happy, Haman, when it came in Adar, because in Adar, God's name is in the opposite way of the correct way, which is the, which is the roughest time, where his name of pity is not what's in command of what's going on. So if you look in the Psukim, you will see that he writes the following. Haman, let me see where I have the Pasuk. There's so much stuff underlined here. Hold on, give me a second, give me a second. Ah, listen carefully. He said like this. This you, you should write down, but you can't write down Hashem's name. 
when Haman spoke to Achashverosh, he said, "V'chol." It's in Pas- it's in Perik Hey, Pasuk Yud Gimel. I just want to give you an overview of what's what's a little bit of what was going on over here. Perik Hey, Pasuk Yud Gimel says the following. The Chol's there, Haman was saying to his Zeresh, his wife, and to, and to all the people that were with him, it's all not worth anything to me. As long as I see Mordechai Yehudi, that's where he was Haman, that's where he was Minah where he said, everything is great, but if I see this Jew, it doesn't matter down to me, nothing's worth anything. If you take the word, if you take the word Zeh, and you take the last letters of each word, Zion Hey is a Hey. Einenu, Ends with a vav. Shava ends with a hey. Li ends with a yud. So you have Hashem's name backwards. Hey, vav, hey, yud. And it's also at the end of each word, which not only is a God's name backwards when Haman said this, but he put God's name at the end of each word, which gives the nachash, the snake, the power to plug into the negativity that he's creating. So what did she answer? So she went the next day and she invited Achashverosh and she said, Yavo Hamelech Behaman Hayom. I'm, I'm, gonna t- I'm going back after you, Mr. Nachash, Mr. Haman, and I'm inviting you back to my party with the words Yavo Yud Hamelech starts with a hey, Behaman Avov Hayom Ahay. So she went back and she said, You're taking Hashem's name and putting it backwards at the end of every word. I'm coming back at you with Hashem's name in order at the beginning of every word. This was a fight for the end of the world. This was a fight between the Nachash and, and Esther and Mordechai and, and, and the Jew and us against the Nachash for the end of the world here. So they're, they're playing with Hashem's names, right? Okay. She goes on and it says that she had to go and, but now how is she going to destroy him? So he says he had, she, she used a different Pasik where she used Hashem's name in the right order, but at the end of every word. Anyway, they were going back and forth, going back and forth, going back and forth. Fine. By the way, I just want to tell you something that the Kabbalah says that's very important. People make a very big mistake. We make noise when we say Haman. And a lot of people in Shul like, shh, shh, too much noise. They put on the red light, and they put on the green light, and it's three seconds, and it's two seconds, and I'm hungry, and they get killed. They, they get angry at the kids, but they're throwing snappers. And and this, a minute of Kaiyashvel, this is not a joke. It's not like one day some guy got up and said, hey, hold on, let's make noise. <laughs> right? There's a reason. I want to read you something which they should post in every shul. And the Kaviyosha says the following. The Kaviyosha says the following. And he says, Vikibalti, and I want you to know that I have learned Kishemak in Haman, when you bang, when they say the word Haman, Kishemakin in Shemo, Bishem Ishto, Uvanov, it's Mashma from here. Now, when they say Zeresh, and when they say there's ten sons, you're also supposed to bang. That's what it seems from here. So he says, I want you to know that when you bang in shul, when they say Haman, his wife's name and his children's name, God does, God makes them feel in the next world every bang. Since every person, every Jew that's here, 
the miracle was done to you also, because otherwise you wouldn't be here. It's all our jobs to give him pain. You should know that a God makes them feel in Gehenim, every time you bang, he makes them feel that, that you're banging. So bang away, man. <laughs> bang away, like you never bang, bang on the table, bang on the wall, bang on a drum set, make noise. Because the Kavayashar says Beferish, that every time you bang on a table, you bang on the floor, Hashem makes him feel it in the next world. So how could you tell people not to do it? You should be banging all night. We should be smacking on the wall. We should be, be throwing boulders. On top of that, he says that you should write on the bottom of your shoe, um, Amalek's name or, or, or and Haman's name or on a chalkboard, and then you should erase it because then you, then you get the mitzvah of erasing uh, Amalek. It's not a joke. That a person should write Haman and Amalek on his shoe on Purim and he should erase it in the dirt. Or you should write it on a piece of paper with a pencil and you should erase it. That's what he says. He says it in Even from wood and sticks and stones. Therefore, you, you should, you, a person should make sure that he does this on Purim. And, and I don't know, people take this as a... As a as people, Hello? I'm reading you a Kavayasha. Okay, that should be your hefstick that you're making noise. Instead of dreaming, everyone's dreaming about everything else, about the food they're going to eat later. Okay, now, he also goes into something, that's what I was telling you before, that I, I want to use certain words, and he says the following, I think this is very important for all of us. He asked the question, I'll say it outside, I don't have to say it inside. He asked the question, the, the truth is, what did we really do wrong? What did we do wrong? The truth is that we ate, right, we ate from kosher food. So he says like this. Listen carefully. Okay, and therefore, we have to be very careful. When idol worshippers make a party, invite you to their house, make a party. You're not allowed to have anything from any of those meals. Unless an idol worshipper sells you a bird, a chicken, or something that's alive, right, then you can take it. But not something that's dead. In the house of an idol worshiper, or in a club of an idol worshiper, or in the restaurant of an idol worshiper, who also lechel imo, you're not allowed to eat with him. After oichel machol kosher, even if the food is kosher, the shoisa yain kosher, and even if you're drinking kosher wine, you're going to a party, a Christmas party, an idol worshiper party, or a party in a law firm. Or party in your business. But it's being run by idol worshippers. And they're serving, they brought in caterers, special kosher meals. It's usually those airplane meals. Well, okay, even the airplane meals. They brought in kosher food. Also, you're not allowed to eat with them. Even if it's kosher wine. And everyone should know, if you're not careful in this, your sin and your punishment is going to be great. And God, and God, cries, cries for those people. And the question is why? Why? And he answers. And he says, why? Why Why is that such a terrible thing? And he says, I want you to know that, listen carefully, that Haman knew this. For Haman worked for the Nachash. And the Nachash threw kosher food 
And in other words, a neshama, all of us in this room, we can only be tied into God. Because that's where we come from. We come from holiness. So our yanika, our, our nutrition, has to come from holy things. If the, the being behind the nutrition, the idol worshiper, is the Yetzirah and the Satan, even though he's giving us kosher food, since he's giving us kosher food, and we're making brachas, but it's coming from him, that bracha that you make goes to him. Something I spoke to you guys a long time about. That's the whole thing with casinos and the whole thing with gambling. When a person gambles, that money is coming. This is where he brings it down, by the way. This is what stopped me 10 years ago. This is what stopped me totally, 100%. This is where he brings it down. That a person who gambles should know that it's coming. Even it's kosher. Kosher, I went to the casino. I didn't steal. They said, come play. I'm not stealing. It's New Jersey, whatever. Right? I'm not doing anything wrong. I made a bracha. There's, a, there's two kosher restaurants in Atlantic City. There's eight kosher restaurants in Vegas. They have a shul, Rodev Shalom in Atlantic City. They have eight shuls in Vegas. So I went to Vegas. I davened. I learned. Right? I even listened to my iPod to my daf gaming. Right? And then I went to the casino. And who runs the casinos? The idol worshippers. And therefore, when you make money from them, you, whatever you do with that money, give it to tzedakah, it goes to them. Goes to them. Better not to give it to tzedakah. And what does everybody say? And it's so true. Because everyone I know, what do they say? Don't worry, it's not such a bad thing. Because when I gamble, I give 10% to tzedakah. Idiots! The worst thing you can do! You're giving it to them! Burn it better! Take it outside and throw it to the ocean. You're giving it to them. So what happened by Akashverosh? The Nachash was brilliant. Haman was brilliant. He said, let's make a party. Let's have kosher. Let's have kosher waiters. He brings it down. Now when the Jews are eating there, who paid for the party? Whose food was it? Akashverosh said, no one has to pay. You don't have to pay. Whatever you want is yours. You don't have to pay. Because once you pay for it, it's a whole different thing. We didn't pay for it. So he fed us. So all the brachas and all the benching and all the divrei tyrus that were at that party all went to the nachash. The nachash didn't want a bunch of idol worshippers who are spitting on the floor and cursing. He doesn't get life from that. He gets life from all of us, boys. He's the spider and we're the fly and he sucks our blood. He, doesn't, he wants from us. So he keeps feeding you and he keeps feeding you. So anything you get from him, you become a partner with him. And when I heard that, I said, I'm done. Because if I lose money in the casino, I'm an idiot. If I win money in the casino, I'm a partner with him. I don't want to be a partner with him. So I can't win. So what's the use? What am I gambling for? And that's what, that's what this Nachash, that's what this Akashverosh, and this Haman, who were brilliant. They were brilliant. So who was Esther? How did Esther get him back? Why did Esther make a party? Why did Esther invite Haman to the party? She did a switch. She paid for the wine. She made from the party. She made, it came from Kedusha. And that's what killed the Nachosh. The Nachosh was eating. She got back at him. You took our Kedusha at the party from us because you gave us from, from, from the Sitra Akra, from the, from the Tumma. Now you're going to come to my party, Nachosh. And I'm going to feed you Kedusha. I'm going to kill you. And that's why she killed him through the party. That's why she made a mission. What did you make a mission? Call a meeting. Call a meeting. I want to talk to Akashverosh. Come into my room. Haman, Haman's trying to kill me. What's with the Mishnah? She did to him what he did to us. She went and she bought kosher wine. She fasted. She davened. And she said, Haman, I'm going to take you down. I'm going to take back the Kedusha that you took from Klai I'm going to take it back and I'm going to bring it back to Klai Do you know who Esther Hamalka was? 
So you know who Mordechai was. You think this is a simple story. This is not a simple story. Boys, when you go to a club, when you go to a club owned by an Arab, or you go to a club owned, it doesn't have to be by an Arab, by an idol worshiper, and you drink Coca-Cola and it's kosher. But it's his. It's coming from him. Especially if it's free. Even worse. But it's coming from him. You're eating from him. You're becoming part of him. Your bracha belongs to him. And that's what they did to us on Purim. And therefore, the whole thing of yayin, the whole thing of drinking yayin, which I'm going to explain to you, the whole thing of drinking yayin is, what is the last thing you do on Purim? It's Su'udas Purim. When do you drink the wine? Not Thursday night. Not Friday morning. You drink the wine, the last thing you do on Purim. When you sit by the Su'udah, that's when it says to drink the wine. You shouldn't know the difference between Mordechai. Why don't you drink, why can't I drink in the morning at 10 o'clock? Why do I have to wait at a normal time when it's not a Friday? I have to wait till the Su'udah's Purim. That's when you drink. I drink in the morning. And the answer is that you can't drink from the wine until you have all the Kedusha in you, right? So that your drinking from the wine is, is repairs what we drank from the wine of the, of the idol worshippers when we were when, when we did so when we sit for him and we're trying to do chuba and we're trying to fix who we are we stand in front of Hashem and we're on the highest level when we get we did all the mitzvahs now that I'm at this level because my drinking from the wine is pure kedusha I'm connected to you to be machaper on what they did drinking from the wine of the nachash and that's why Purim is so holy now. How, how, how do we get to that point? I mean, I, I'm not even telling you a, a, a millionth of, of what it says in here. How do we get to that point? So we have to understand what, 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 what Purim is. Never in the history of the Jews, and I hope never again, did ever, ever God sign a decree that we should be all wiped out. Not even in the Holocaust. Never, ever, ever was written in the Torah from the beginning of time to the end of time. Once in the lifetime of the world and the lifetime of the Jews that God signed a death warrant on every Jewish boy and every Jewish girl, every mother, father, child. It didn't matter whether it was a tzaddik or a rasha. It was written on Mordechai. It was written on Esther. It was written on a yeshiva boy. It was written on every single person in Klai Yisrael. Hashem signed on the dotted line. It was the greatest crisis that the Jews ever had. Never did Hashem, even by the Egel. By the Egel, Hashem said, maybe I'll let you live, I'll destroy it. But Moshe Ben didn't say, did you sign? Hashem didn't sign. Didn't sign anything. Here was the only crisis that he signed. So, in the world of positive and negatives, where there's the greatest negative, lies the greatest positive. Where there's the greatest hate, lies the greatest love. If there's no emotion, nothing's going to happen. I don't deal with kids that have no emotion. What am I doing? You hate me? You know, I told you that story, the first time I met, the first time I was in really Kirov, a girl said to me, blank you, Rabbi, right? The first time I met her, I didn't even know her. Blank you, and blank God, and blank Judaism, and this was after rehab, and, and, and this girl had tongue rings, and, and tattoos, and I walked into this on Tisha of night, I know what I walked in, the guy said, go in there and tell them the story. I walked in there, I had kids that were so abused by the system, that this girl had hatred for me, she didn't even know me, right? I felt like I'd slip in, no beard, you know, she wouldn't know I'm the Rabbi. She took one look at me, she said, blank you, Rabbi, blank God. Such hatred? I never saw such hatred in my life. And I looked at her and I said, this girl's going to grow up to be a Tzadikistah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when I walked out after, and, and of course, what happened was, she was, there were, there were like 10 people in the room and she was the mouth. She was 15 and a half. 
she was a street kid. She went through everything. She wasn't scared of nobody. She wasn't scared of nothing. So she was like representing them. And if like the rabbi, let's see how the rabbi answers her. So Abba Hashem, Hashem put the right thing in my mind. I said, you know what? You just saved me eight hours. And she said, what do you mean? I said, I was going to come in here and prove you God. You said blank God means you believe in him. So <laughs> you just saved me eight hours. Let's talk. You know? And she goes, that's cool. <laughs> And that was the beginning of my relationship, talking to her, working with her. Baruch Hashem, she got married. Baruch Hashem, she's in Eretz Yisrael. Tattoos are gone. She had them removed. Cost a lot of money, with a lot of pain, whatever it was. And why? Because where there's a lot of hate, there's a lot of love. If you got that emotion that you hate God, then all you need to turn it is into loving God. If you have no emotion, then, then you're a rock. There's nothing. So, so this moment of God signing a death warrant on all of us was a moment... That if it turned, would be the signature of a life warrant forever on all of us. We need to turn it. The, 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 the crisis was at its greatest point. But if we could turn the crisis, it becomes the greatest day. And Baruch Hashem, that's what Purim was. To give you an example, you tell a kid, listen, Shefala, darling, don't go into the gutter. Don't go into the street. Don't go into the street. And you keep saying, don't go into the street. Right? And the kid runs into the street, and God forbid a, a car hits him, and he's laying there on the floor, and you're calling Hatzalah, and you don't know if he's gonna make it. The last thing that any father's gonna do is stand over the kid and say, I can't believe you went into the street. <laughs> I mean, I'm really angry at you right now. I mean, how could you do that? The father's gonna grab him and hug him and run to the hospital with him. And the last thing he's going to do is blame him for what he did. So on Purim, it's a day, boys where you can open your heart to Hashem and you can ask for anything because it's a day that we got hit by a car. It's a day that Hashem signed that we're done. We're over. We're dead. We're finished. We're wiped out. Not six million Jews. All the Jews. And Baruch Hashem, we were saved. So Hashem on that day doesn't pick us up and say, I told you not to drink at his party. I told you not to do this Aveira. I told you not to go to movies. This guy is standing in front of Hashem on Purim and he's saying, Hashem, I need a shidduch and I, I need money and I need health and help me with this and help me with that. Right? So on Yom Kippur, so carefully, this between Yom Kippur and Purim. On Yom Kippur, Hashem says, uh, let's open the book. You want money? Let's see how you did this year. You cheated with this guy. You did this. You're embarrassed more than your mitzvahs. Uh-uh. Yom Haddin. You're not getting no money. You want a shidduch? You didn't treat this girl right. You don't deserve it. You're looking at things you're not supposed to. Uh-uh-uh. Yom Haddin is Yom Kippur. And when they sign that you're going to get this, that, Chas is going to be punishment, you deserve it. But, and I'm putting, we got hit by the car. The Xeru was written with, with dead. According to Chazal, according to the Rizal, in the deep of the deep of the deep of the deep, every Purim is a new Purim because we were dead. Because when God signed the Xerah, when God signed the Xerah, so it was, is, and will be. And therefore, since the Xerah said we're going to die, we're dead. And therefore, the Arizal says that every single year, it's a Tchias HaMason. Because the Xerah was written. So, that's a whole different thing. And that's why every Purim, every Purim, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. That means every Purim, each guy in this room, when you get up Purim morning and you turn to Hashem, and you say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I'm begging you, help me with this. They're not taking out your judgment books. Because you got hit by a car that day. Because it was written that you're going to die. And Hashem scooped you up and He's holding you. And He's not blaming you for running into the... He's just, please be okay, Klai Yisrael. 
Please be alive. Please be, please be believing in me. Forget about all the bad things you did. You don't start screaming at that kid. He's, he's bloody. He's all over the place. So that, that Rizal says that every Purim guy's we're at that level. It's not Yom Kippur. There's no books coming out. They're not judging you. You're the kid who ran into the street. We were done. We were dead. There was no one to help us. There was no one that could help us. Esther was, according to the Jews, she went, she went the other way. She invited Haman to the party. Mordechai got us into the whole thing. Why didn't you bow down to Haman? We wouldn't have had the whole problem. So Mordechai was a crazy, wild leader. A Meshuggah leader. Some guy who was up against, you know, Lipa Shmelter shouldn't have a concert. Like, he was a kanoi. He was, he was a wild man. The wild man. The Jews are like, he's a from guy. He's Meshuggah. Guy running around. Bow down to stupid Haman. It's the big deal. And then when they came out and said, because of Mordechai, Haman said, I'm wiping you all out. They said, we don't want to have anything to do with you. Not only that, I saw this week that the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin didn't get along with Mordechai because they said, you're the Sanhedrin, you're the, you're the Rosh Sanhedrin. What are you doing in politics? No, what are you doing in politics? Why are you hanging around the, the, the kings? What are you doing? There's women there. And, 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 and we don't want Sanhedrin mixed in politics. We're rabbis. We're supposed to stay in the base medrash. What are you going out in politics? So they didn't like him either. So Sanhedrin didn't like him. The Jews didn't like him, right? They all said he's a wacko. Esther is a traitor. She's busy inviting home on the enemy. God signed the paper. Mordechai even said he saw it. It's signed that we're gone. They were done. There was nobody to turn to. There was no Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, Shmuel Birnbaum, Chofetz Chaim. They were done. They were finished. And guess what, guys? They turned to Hashem anyway. And they fasted three days anyway. And they davened anyway. And they did tshuva anyway. What for? What for? What would, what, if your wife, if a guy's married and his wife, sign them off. Sign them off. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. She's in court to give him a divorce. He's done. She won't have anything to do with him. He turns to her parents, his in-laws. Can you help me out? And his in-laws say, are you crazy? Help you out? And he turns to his friends. And all their doors are shut. And he turns to his rabbis. And they're like, no, we can't get involved over here. And then this guy, you think, would go back to that woman and buy her presents and ask her for forgiveness? He would say, you know what? You can take your in-laws, your parents, and the rabbis, and all of you, and I'll go on my own, and I'll do what I got to do. Have a nice life. No one's here for me. I don't want to be any part of this. And this is what the Jews did. They had no, no God. They had no Rosh Hashiva. They had nobody in the, in the, in the government. They had nothing. What did they do? Instead of getting angry, like most of us, hey, God, you know, you're not taking care of me the way I expected you to take care of me. You know, I deserve this, this, and that, and the other thing. Instead of doing that, they went ahead and they fasted, and they cried, and they came to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and they begged him forgiveness. This is a nutty, crazy, the Shemaim is so open on Purim that there's nothing that you can't ask for. You are the child that Hashem scooped off the sidewalk after getting hit by a car. Or after not getting hit by a car. Even if you don't get hit by a car. If Chas Hashem is a child in the street and a car is flying down, I've seen it. And a car is flying down the street and, and the mother comes running out and grabs the child at the last second and the car zips by. She holds that child, she doesn't let go of it. She just holds it there for a minute and it's a frozen time where she just holds the child. Oh my God. I, 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 I saw him dead. I saw, I saw the car hitting him. I mama saw the car. I, I saw this once happen. I saw the car hitting my child. I can't believe it. And, and, and she doesn't let go. 
And you, you can't pry that kid out of our hands. That's what happens on Purim, guys. Hashem almost lost his only child. The idol worshippers, he doesn't care about. They're not his children. This was his, this is his only child. He says, Hashem. You are my only child. Everyone else is part of the world. But you are my only child. Hashem almost lost his only child. And at the last second, we were scooped up and saved. He doesn't want to let go of us on Purim. And every Purim, he remembers that moment. We were that close, guys, to being annihilated off the whole world. And therefore, we have the four mitzvahs that we have on Purim. And what are those four mitzvahs? Mikra Megillah. Megillah means Megala. Megillah means Hashem opens up everything to us. On Purim, He opens up everything. He shows us that all the secrets of the world, boys, all the things that we call nature are not nature. And all of them, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, does each one of us, for each one of us separately. You know, you're going to say to me, Rabbi, I don't understand. I, I hear what you're saying tonight. But, you know, the breathing part, dogs breathe. Cats breathe. Mice breathe. So Hashem didn't do it only for me. He didn't, he didn't, you know, that I don't have to walk around with an oxygen tank. He put air in the world for everybody. And the answer is wrong. Because of me, Hashem created the world. Chazal say. Because of each guy in this room, Hashem created the world. But, he has to hide himself. So it's sort of like, it's like a guy goes away for a week on a trip, and his wife really loves him, and, and, and she wants to show how much she loves him, so she bakes him this unbelievable cookie. Right? And she's going to put this cookie in the middle of the kitchen in, in a bowl and, and, and to show her love for, for her husband. But there's a problem because the kids are going to see that. And how she can explain to the kids, oh, mushy gushy, you love Tati, you named the cookie for Tati. You know, and there's some guests in the house. So what does she do? She's a smart lady. So she bakes 10 other cookies. And she puts them in the bowl. But his cookie, she puts in the middle. But she bakes the other ten other cookies, so no one knows. So each one thinks, oh, this oh, she baked all these cookies. It's not for anybody special, but her husband knows, right? And he sends her a card, and he says, she sends him, and she says, listen, when you get home, look what's in the middle of the bowl. That's for you. And he realizes that the cookie in the middle of the bowl is really for him, but she had to hide that amongst the other cookies because she couldn't everyone know, you know, that she's sweetie and this and that. That's nobody's business. The love of, of two people is, you know, it's between those two. So because Baruch Hu, for each one of us, we have to think that he created ear and sights and colors and all this thing. He created for me. All you other guys have it. You know why? So I shouldn't know that it's just for me. And you, it's just for you. And all us other guys have it, so you shouldn't know that it's just for you. Nebuch, the person who's on a respirator, he knows that it's not for him. He knows he doesn't have that, that he can just breathe. He has to have something stuck down his lungs, pumping air into his lungs, and he can't just step out there and, and breathe. He knows that's not for him. But every other person that's able to breathe has to know that what we have in life is just for us. It's a present just for us. Okay, anyway, so let's just get fast. So there's Mikra Megillah, where we read the Megillah, where you have to go to Megillah, and you have to listen and look into the Megillah and all the secrets of the Megillah. Then, what's this Matanas of Yonim, that you have to give one present to two different people? And shlach manos, two presents of food to one person, and then suudas purim. What does that have to do with anything? Those mitzvahs are our give back to God. God, we learn purim, the whole thing is, is the hidden purim. So, how do I give back God? God gave me things natural. Right? I need clothing. I don't need to wear a tie. I don't need to wear shoes with like special rubber soles. I can wear regular shoes. I don't have to have a DTS car. I can have just a regular car. Um, but there are certain things that a person needs to have and there's certain extra things. 
So how do I give that back to Hashem? I'm going to give Hashem, send him uh, a, a shlachmanos? Like, uh, here God, come to shul and say, here God, here's a shlachmanos for you. Or I'm writing a check for $20 to God, and I'll mail it and I'll throw it up in the air, I'll put it in the ocean. How do you pay back Hashem? So how do you pay back someone who has everything? You give it to his child. If he has everything, and his child doesn't have everything, so how do you pay him back? You give it to his child. So on Purim, we have a mitzvah of Matanas Levyonim. Matanas Levyonim is, it's not a, it's not a, it's, it, you're giving it to people who need. There's two kinds of, of, there's love, and then there's responsibility. For instance, there's a guy sitting next to me, and he's writing with a big pen. One of those old big pens, and I see it's like, he keeps shaking it, he keeps shaking it, he keeps shaking it, right? So I feel bad. Next week, I'm going to go buy him a Parker. When he's sitting next to me by the share, I'm going to say, hey, this big pen, man, it doesn't write well. Here's my Parker. Now, that doesn't mean I love him. That means that I know he needs something. So I care about him. I don't love him. I care about him. Therefore, I'm giving him something that he needs. The first level of Amunah, believing in God, is understanding that Hashem cares about us. He may not love us, but he knows that we need air. We can't live without air. And I need food, and I need water, and I need shelter, and I need clothing. So all those things, don't tell me Hashem loves me. Tells me he cares about me. I don't love him, but his pen's no good. So I care about you, so here's a pen. You're cold. Every week you're sitting here, you're cold. So I'm buying you a sweater, not because I love you, but you need a sweater. I love you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Just using you as an example, right? So, uh, and you too. Don't worry. Don't get nervous. <laughs> so, so the mitzvah, listen carefully, the mitzvah of matanos le'evyonim, giving two separate poor people money, is not a mitzvah that of, of, it's a mitzvah of necessity. In other words, we are thanking God for all the things he gives us that are necessary to us by giving to people who need. And therefore, we don't give it to one person. We give it to at least two. Because there's, the necessities are much more than love. So the necessities, we have to help all of Hashem's beings. So I'm giving back to God on Purim. Of all the, I understand there are things I don't realize. I take for granted. The necessities I take for granted. So I am giving, I am on Purim giving back to you, Hashem. I'm correcting what happened. By giving to two people their necessities. Very nice. That's nice, right? But, what happens if he's writing with a big pen? Right? Or he's writing with a Parker pen and it writes perfectly beautiful. But I love this guy. Right? I love this guy. And I want, and I want to show him how much I love him. So next week I walk in with a $450 Mont Blanc. He doesn't need a Mont Blanc. Gold, 14 carat, with his initials on it. But I want to show him my feelings for him. So I went out, and I bought him a Mont Blanc, and he's like, Rebbe, I'm happy with my Parker. So I know, but I love you, so I want to give you something extra. Shlachmanos, ish, listen carefully. I'm telling you a lot of Kabbalah tonight. Ish l're'ehu. Shlachmanos ish l're'ehu. Why doesn't it say ish l'chavero? Why does it say Ishacher? Why Re'ehu? There's a passage in the Torah that says, Vahafta Lureacha Kamocha. You should love your friend like yourself. The famous Rabbi Akiva, right? Zed, Cloud, Golubat Torah. What's the most important thing to know in the Torah? 
That's the whole Torah. I never understood that. That I should love a guy as much as myself? Hey, we're the posse. We hang. You know, there's some gangs. There's some California gangs where, they're, where they're in the gang, they really love each other like themselves. They'll die for the other guy. They'll take a bullet for the other guy. What does that mean? So Chazal say that the word Reacha doesn't mean a friend. The word Reacha means Hashem. Love Hashem as much as you, then you'll keep the whole Torah. Shlach monois, ishlereehu. Reehu means Hakadosh Baruch Hu. What does that mean? How do you send Shlach Monos? One person to one. Why don't I send Shlach Monos to ten people? Why don't I have a mitzvah like like Matanos Yoinim? Because love, a relationship, is only between two people. A relationship is between two people. To the third person, it's adultery or a therapist. It's no good. <laughs> There's something wrong. There can't be a third person in the party. So therefore, when it comes to shlach manos, when it comes to the Mont Blanc, when it comes to the present of love, it's to one person. It's ish ehu. Says Hashem, I don't need your Mont Blanc. I don't need it. Give it to my son. Give it to another Jew. Therefore, you walk into a guy's house, you got 95, come to my house on Friday. 95 shlachmanos in the kitchen. Piled up to the roof. Popcorn, potato chips, chocolate, wine, 900 bottles of grape juice. Right? At least 900, 400 little boxes of raisins. Right? Guy walks in, Revy, here's your shlachmanos. Oh no, another bottle of wine. Right? And, and more raisins. And the answer is, that's Shlachmanos. You don't need it. Shlachmanos is something you don't need. I have a hundred of them already. What you don't need, that's love. The Mont Blanc, he doesn't need. He has a pen that works. I don't need your raisins. I don't need your grape juice. I have a hundred of them. That's Shlachmanos. Take another one. <laughs> because that's what a person who loves another person, that's what, they, that's what they give that other person. If somebody needs something, if you go home <laughs> on your anniversary and you go home, and you buy your wife for her anniversary a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> She's going to throw it at you. <laughs> and you're going to say to her, but darling, I don't understand. You, we, it broke. The belt broke. The bag broke. We need, you need a new vacuum cleaner. How are you going to vacuum the house with the old vacuum cleaner? That's not love. Necessity is not love. That is the basis, by the way. It may have been taken a little bit out of proportion, but that is the basis of tachshitim. That is the basis of jewelry. Jewelry is not necessary. You can't eat pearls. You can't breathe diamonds, right? Even though some people think you can. You can't. So, so the whole idea of buying a woman jewelry is you don't need it. And of course, anyone who has the right wife, when you come home and you buy her that beautiful ring, the first thing she says, oh, I don't need this. <laughs> and that's why you should give it to her. If she needs it, then it's a vacuum cleaner, then it's not a sign of love. She tells you, I want pearls, and you buy her pearls, it doesn't mean you love her. What you don't need, you give to somebody the extra, right, this guy next door, this guy, not, the guy lives next door to you, this guy's a billionaire. He's a billionaire. You're going to come to him with a bottle of wine and a, and a grapefruit. He needs a bottle of wine and grapefruit? He could go buy the company that makes the wine. And sun kissed, right? So the answer is that shows I care about you. I know you don't need the wine. I know you don't need the grapefruit. This is my sign that I do care about you. I'm giving you something that you don't need. So therefore, the next level 
by Thomas Levion, and the next level is Shlachmanos. The next level is to understand that Hakadosh Baruch Hu, I'm giving things back. You give me things I don't need. You give me. You give me. I have eight suits. I need one suit. I have four ties. I need one tie. I have a beautiful car. I can add a regular car. Hakadosh Baruch Hu, you gave me so much in my life. That I didn't have to have, I need to thank you. Therefore, Shlachmanos is because it's a one-on-one relationship. And that when a person gives my tongue to when you give it to the poor person, you have to be thinking, Hashem, I'm giving you back to show you, a, a, just to resemble that I really love you and I, and, I, and I appreciate all the things that you give me that I need. I appreciate that you look at me and you know what I need. But then when you give Shlachmanos, you take those two pre- those two things, and you give it to another person, you have to say, Kosh now I'm thanking you, because there's so much stuff I have that I don't really need, and I know you only give it to me because you love me. Now comes the end of the day. Now you did Mikras Megillah. Now you did Matan Sevyonim. Now you did Shlach Monos. Now you can come to the table. Now you can sit down at the table, because now you need to correct what they did. You need to correct what the Jews did when they sat at that table, and they mixed the Kedusha with the Tumor. Now you come down, you sit at your table after thanking Hashem for everything and you have people to come sit at your table and to eat your meal and to drink the wine and to be masakin and to fix everything that we did all the way back to the wine that came from the Eitz Hadas, which was Hamina Eitz, from this Eitz that you ate and we're masakin the Yayin that was used, the Avera, the first Avera that mixed the Kedusha with the Tumor and we sit at the end of Purim and we're at a point, we're at such a high level, such a holy point, where we're sitting mamish at Hashem's table, and we're fixing everything that they did, and, we, and, and, and we're davening to Hashem, and, and anyone who's, who's ever gone to a Rebbe or to a Tzaddik, and sat at your table when they get drunk, stuff comes out of their mouth that, that you don't hear a whole year. Mamish ruach and brachas, and things that, that come out of Tzaddikim's mouth, because nichnas yayin, yaitzay said. The wine goes in, and you're at that level, that you already thanked Hashem, gave everything back to Hashem, understood all the secrets of the Megillah, you're already at that level, then you can drink wine. Then you don't have to worry about what's going to come out of your mouth. Nothing bad's going to come out of your mouth. Only I love you, Hashem. I want you to know I kept it. I lost it this year. There was a, a guy that was in my Chabura who called me two years ago on Purim night. I was in Florida. He was blitzed out of his brains. I mean, he was so drunk. He was out here in the street screaming on the phone. He called me. He said, Rebbe, I never heard someone speak like that. I love Hashem. He was crying like a two-year-old baby. I did this to Hashem, and I did this to Hashem, and I heard him, and I can't believe it. I never, I never, my whole guts was, I was listening to this, this message that he left me on the phone, and I, I never heard someone speak like this in his life. He was crying like a two-year-old baby of all the things that he did wrong to Hashem, and how Hashem gave him everything, and it was, I, I, I wish I had the tape. If you heard the tape, you guys would turn green. I, I, I never heard, you, you heard the person's soul talking. It was like, it was like amazing. You know what? He hit the right point. He got to the right point, at that point when he drank, at the end of Purim, he got to the point where his soul was so clean, so open, that it just, it just opened up and it was, and it was like a Megillah. It just, the whole, the whole mister, the whole hidden opened up and, 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 and he got clean. And today this guy is, is amazing. He's amazing. He, he, he opened up like Rishboku, he connected, and, 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 and that's where he ended up. He ended up on the highest, highest level. So, that's what uh, a little bit of an insight into into what Purim is is about. I can tell you that it's brought down in Chazal that that a person on Purim we should get up for seeking. There are many of us seeking minions at sunrise. The tefillah that a person, the prayers that a person gives for seeking on Purim is is the holy of the holies. It's very important on Purim to make sure 
stay away from girls, you stay away from all the stupidity. And it's just the just the nachash who's trying to to get the kedusha out of Klai Yisrael and to and to and to try to mix us into all this garbage. And we're not allowed. We're definitely not allowed to let, let ourselves be mixed in. So I just want to end. If we look at the Megillah, you'll see something very interesting that. Mordechai and Esther, we're going to end with this, had two very interesting, two very interesting names. Mordechai. And Esther, says the Megillah, was called Hadassah. Why did they call her Hadassah? So one major says she was green. She had a green complexion. So that we shouldn't think that because of her beauty. That's why we, that we should understand that. As a, okay. But there's a different reason. I'm going to tell you the reason. It's very, very, very interesting. This is from the, from the B'nai Saskal. And with this, should put a lot of kedusha into each one of the, your souls. The, the, the Malach of the month of Adar, his name is Avrichayel. Aleph Beis Reish, Chof Yud, Aleph Lamed. And this, this Malach, the Gematria of his name, happens to come out to, to the word Seder, because in Adar, the month of Adar, the miracles in the month of Adar are Melubashim, are, are clothed in Teva, in nature. And nature was, Mesudr was assembled in the six days of, of creation. And the, his name is, is equal to, to, to the word Seder. Now, when, when Esther went up to ask the Malachim, when Mordechai went, went up to ask the Malachim what the deal is, so the Malach by the gate, by the, there's a, there's a parochas, there's a, a curtain right in front of Hashem, by Hashem. And the Malach stands there, and when you want to ask a question, you ask the Malach. And she asked the Malach, What's going to happen to Klai Yisrael? What's going to happen to the nation of Klai Yisrael? And the Malach answered the following words, Moch, wiped out, Moch, wiped out, and Rosh, which are not too good, which are two not very good words. Why? What? Why? Because, boys, when you get nourished from the other side, whether it's looking at the internet and looking at pictures that you shouldn't, which satisfy you. Because a person, just like he eats and it satisfies him, he can listen to certain things that satisfy him. He can look at certain things that his eyes, it's called Seveya Inayim, that satisfy him. You have to understand that when you get Yanika nutrition from the other side, you'll lose God. Hashem has to leave, because if Hashem's gonna stay there, then they're gonna get Yanika, they're gonna get nutrition from God, and that's gonna give them crazy power. So when any of us listen to things that we're not supposed to, or look at things that we're not supposed to, or do these Averos, Kushbahu sort of leaves us. What's Hashem's name? Kaili, Aleph Lamid Yud is Hashem's name. Kale with the Yud, Kaili. When Klai Yisrael went to this party, and they took out the, the, the gold and the silver and all the kalim of the Beis HaMikdash. And they, they, they started off with a kosher party. And then it ended up, they took out all our kalim and they started drinking from it. And then came the girls. It didn't stay a kosher party. It started a kosher party. Because Baruch said, I'm out of here. And Hashem took from our name Yisrael, He took His name out. He took the Aleph, the Lamed, and the Yud. And if you take Yisrael, and you take the Aleph and the Lamed and the Yud away, it's left with the Rosh and Hashem, which is Rosh. Our Malach in Shemayim that protects us, that fights the world, his name is Michael. When we down here take God away from us, God takes his name away from a Malach. 
When you take the letters of a malach away, he disintegrates, he falls apart. When Hashem took the keli, Aleph, Lamed, Yud, out of Michal, all that was left was mach. So when Esther HaMalka asked Hashem, asked the malach, what's the deal, what's going on? The malach answered, God left you, you're done. Michal became mach, Yisrael became rush. And therefore, there, there's a capital to Hillim, which is called Ayala um, Saboker. It's something that we're supposed to say um, Tehillim Chaf Beis. In Tehillim Chaf Beis, you're supposed to say Tanis Esther and Ampurim. And she is called Ayala Sashacha. What, what does Esther say? A famous, we sing the song Kaylee, Kaylee, Lama Azavtani. Twice the word Kaylee, why did you leave me? Why did you leave Yisrael and become Rush? And why did you leave Michal and become Mach? And Klai Yisrael did Tshuva, and Akash Baruch Hu brought back Kaili into both, and we became Yisrael, and we became Michal, and that gave us back our Koyach. But I want to tell you what, and I know it's very late, but this is a Shir Purim. I want to tell you how Akash Baruch Hu saved us by using the name Mordechai and using the name Esther, Esther Hadassah. This whole Purim is all tied into the first Avera, Haman, Minha Eitz. When Chava went to eat from the tree, she had five senses. Four of them she used and she and became Tame. She touched the tree. She looked at the tree. She spoke to the Nachash. And she tasted from the tree. The only thing, the only thing that did not become Tameh, she didn't, Baruch Hashem for us, she didn't smell from the tree. She didn't smell it first. Usually when you have a fruit, you smell it first. She didn't smell it first. Mordechai, the name Mordechai, if you look in the, I don't have the time to find it in the Chumash right now, but if you look in the Chumash, you will see that the, that the word mar udrar and mar and drar are two of the ingredients in the Ketores. The Unkelis translates it as Mardechai. So Mardechai's name means Ketores, spices. Hadassah is myrtle. Also something that smells very good. Haman had power from the eight Hadassah of all four senses. Seeing, tasting, hearing, and touching. But he didn't have power over smell. Because smell wasn't used in that Avera. So the only two people who could take Haman down were the two people who were named after smell. Which was Mordechai from Spices, Mordechai, and Esther from Hadassah. Now Hadassah, if you have Hadassah at home, you have Hadassah and the Svadim use for Erev Shabbos, and we use it in Lulav, don't give a smell if you just smell the leaves. You got to crush it. And the more you crush it, the more it gives off the smell. Haman's big mistake. The more he crushed us, the more he crushed Hadassah, the more he crushed Mordra, the more you crush the spice. You know, if you take cinnamon, the more you crush it, the more it smells. Anything, pepper. The more you crush it in your fingers, the more it smells. What he didn't realize is that there was one thing left in Klai Yisrael that wasn't Metama, and that was smell. And guess what? The month of Adar, every month, has a part of your face. In Kabbalah, we learn... One month is your left ear, one month is your right ear, one month is your eye, one month is your other eye. The month of Adar is Chaitem. The month of Adar is your nose. 
the thing that sticks out of your face the furthest, no matter how small it is or how big it is. It sticks out. You can try it out tonight. It sticks out the furthest. Says the B'nai Yisachar. Says the B'nai Yisachar. He thought he picked the best month. He picked the worst month for him. Because the B'nai Yisachar says, just to show you how Hashem takes care of us. Guys, you think he's mean, this, that. He takes care of us. Even the month that came out in Purim, which is their lottery, which is their luck, which is what they believe in, was the worst thing that could ever happen to them. Because Ador is the month of the Chaitem, of the nose. The only thing that Haman that wasn't Metameh was smell, was the nose. It was the worst month. Not only that, but he brings down that it was an Ador Shani like this year. And I want to read this to you. And if anyone's born an Ador Shani, you should be benched. Ein Hakshafim Shultin. There's no witchcraft, no black magic, no Ayin Hara. That has any effect, bimi shenoyled ba'adosheni, in any person who's born in adosheni. If you're born in adosheni, you don't gotta wear a red string, you don't gotta go mukubolim, they don't gotta pour lead on your head, nothing. You're born in adosheni, there is no magic that can touch you. Why? Because you have no zodiac. Because only 12 months have the zodiac. And the 13th month has no zodiac. And therefore, Yisrael, which is above the mazel, the best thing that could happen would be that it would come out in Adosheni. And he says, and he says, I heard with my own ears, that the whole thing of Purim came out in Adosheni, not in Adorishon. And therefore, that is why we read Megillah, not in Adorishon, but we read the Megillah in Adosheni. And we do Purim in Adosheni, besides Geula Geula. So, we see from here that HaKash Baruch that God loves us, that even in the even in the throne, even in where it happened, that happened in Shushan, even in the month that it happened, where they said, Purim will show us our luck, look at the lottery, look at our mazel, HaKadosh Baruch showed us that He is watching everything that we do. And therefore, He changed this month from Tzara to Simcha. And I want to tell you something that I said last week, and I saw it after the shir. Hashem sent me the message. Hakadosh Baruch Hu wrote us a beautiful letter, and He left us this letter under our pillow to tell us how much He loves us and that He loves us forever. And that's Megillas Esther to show us that He loves us. And you know, when I said it, I said it's a letter. Okay, very nice, very thought last week was very emotional. He left us a letter when when you don't sign the letter and you know who it is, that means that you two are like. Compatible forever because it can't be anybody else. But like Rabbi Wallstein, how do you know it was a letter? Maybe left, maybe wrote a book. So if you look at the end of Megillah's Esther, when Esther writes it, so she, it's not called Safer Esther. It's not called Megillah's Esther. That's not what she wrote. She calls it the following. And Esther Hamalka, the daughter of Avichayel, wrote, Umarachayel Yehudi, and Mordechai the Jew, as Kol Toikef, to, um, with, with full authority, Lekayim as Igeres Hapurim Hazayis Shemis, to keep this letter. They don't call it a Megillah, and they don't call it a Sefer. It is called a letter. Says Mordechai the Esther, Jews in the future realize, Kishbaruch who sent you on Purim, 
a letter on how much he loves you and he didn't even have to sign it because you got to know who it comes from. And she ends, to keep these days, in their time, and the same way, the same way that it was kept at that time, it's Mamash Etchias HaMesim, comes Purim, we get our life back, comes Purim, because Baruch Hu sends us his, his amazing love, he's grabbing us out of the middle of the street, and hugging us, may he hug us this Purim, and he hug us tight, and not look at all the sins of, of Klai Yisrael, and not say, I told you so, and do it the same way as a mother who saves a child from the street, he should hug us so tight, that he should hold us till Mashiach comes and never let go. Amen. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.